0: Welcome to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, the post-harvest podcast that interviews people making an impact in the fresh produce sector. We'll take a deep dive into what they do and find out how they're helping to reduce the amount of food lost or wasted along the farm to fork journey. But before we get started, did you know that according to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, around 45% of the world's fruits and vegetables go to waste each year? If you would like to learn more about how you can practically play your part in maximizing fruit and vegetable supplies, whether you're a part of the industry or simply a consumer, visit postharvest.com and try out their free online course library today. Now time for your host, Mitchell Denton. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, the post-harvest podcast that
1: interviews people of interest across the food supply chain. Today on our show, I'm joined by Nikki Quinn from Alif Farms, who I'll be talking to about how their cellular agriculture platform is developing sustainable protein in the form of cell-cultured meat products. So with no further delays, let's get started. Hi, Nikki. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Excited to be here.
1: Oh, Great. Before we begin, I just wanted to give you the chance to introduce yourself and what you do. And if you have a little bit of time, maybe a fun fact about yourself.
2: Sure. My name is Nikki Quinn. I'm VP Marketing at Olive Farms. And a fun fact about myself is I call what I do aesthetic activism. So I like to make the right things cool.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Can I can I get an, an example of aesthetic
2: uh, activism.
1: Activism. Yes. Please. If I could get an example.
2: It's basically about using the power of storytelling and design, the soft power, meaning mm. the power it has to attract and to persuade, using it for the powers of good.
1: No, that's great. Well, on that note, let's talk farm to fork. So uh, you've told us briefly what you do. Could you tell us a little bit more about Aleph Farms and, and how the vision to develop cell-cultured meat products began?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Aleph Farms is a food technology company based in Israel um, in a place called Rehovot. Mm-hmm. And the company was founded in 2017. It was co-founded by Didier Tubia, mm-hmm. the kitchen hub by Strauss Group and Professor Shulamit Levenberg of Technion, the Israel Institute of Technology. And I think that when it comes to like the vision for cultivated meat, I think it frankly began a long time ago, right? Everyone always refers to that famous quote from Winston Churchill about one day escaping the absurdity of growing an animal in its entirety and one day will grow its parts, right? So I think that the vision for cultivated meat uh, started some time ago. However, for us, it began um, with Professor Shulamit's work in regenerative medicine, particularly tissue engineering.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. She
2: was growing human tissue to treat humans um And it's a very helpful technology, but for very few people. And the idea was born, well, if we can grow, well, any mammal's tissue, then we could grow food. And and this could help a lot more people, this technology, because the principles and the technology are the same.
1: Yeah, that's great.
2: And thus, Aleph Farms was born. I think Israel does a great job of, of fostering innovation as a country. So there's a food tech hub growing and thriving in Israel. And I think mm. it's, due in large part to um, an ecosystem that's fostered by the government. I think that's what you see a lot when you like, if you, even if you think about a country like Singapore, where it's the only place it's approved cultivated meat for sale, it's it's because the government has sort of set this mandate, right? This 20 by 30 mandate where mm. they're going to grow 30% of their food locally by 2030. And a similar environment is is, is created in Israel in terms of fostering partnerships between academia, the private sector, and the public sector. So I think all of this created sort of the right environment for olive Farms to be born.
1: Yeah, great. Yeah, we've definitely had a few guests on the podcast that are coming out of Israel, and there's definitely a lot of innovation that's taking place there. So that's really exciting. Would you mind explaining for the listeners an easy to understand walkthrough of the process of developing meat products in labs and how this will be more sustainable for yeah. producing meat moving forward?
2: Yeah, I think the first thing I'd say is that it's not being produced in labs anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's largely a misnomer mm. um, and that many of us, including all of Farms, is now scaled to the pilot scale um, production and, and production facilities um, that are much larger than a lab but going back to your original question before I corrected it, yeah. <laughs> which was how this is made, it's a process that all begins with an animal, right? Mm-hmm. So for us, um, it begins with a cow named Lucy. Um, and she's an Angus cow from a breeding farm in California. Um, and farmers from around the world purchase Lucy's fertilized eggs to use them to improve the quality of their livestock. And as we were looking for a high quality source of cow cells, we didn't need to look any further because um, mm. at all Farms, we don't have plans to raise cows because really all we need is a one-time collection of Lucy's fertilized eggs. And from there, we can grow tons and tons of high-quality, tasty, nutritious bovine muscle, fat, and collagen without the rest of the cow. So for us, it starts with Lucy. And once we have her fertilized eggs, we have an everlasting supply of cells, essentially. So we grow and freeze and store these cells in a cell bank. Mm. Um, That's the second step after Lucy. Yeah. And this becomes our cell stock. And I guess for us, why we used a fertilized egg is because these cells are pluripotent. Pluripotent literally means plural potential. Mm. So these are like the cells, like these are the body's raw materials. They can multiply indefinitely. um, And under the right conditions, they can mature into any cell type, specialized cell, including the cell types that comprise meat. So after that, we grow a lot of these cells, and we grow them in what's called a growth tank, called a cultivator. Yeah. Um, and while these cultivators aren't cows, they do provide a temperature-controlled, clean, enclosed environment where cells can thrive. And in these cultivators, we also feed the cells, and it's something called cell feed or growth media, which contains everything that the cells need to live and grow. So things like water, oxygen, nutrients, and growth factors. Mm. And after this step they mature into the cells that comprise meat. And at this point, we have lots of cells, millions and millions and millions of cells um, that are all duplicates of our starter cells. Yeah. And we apply them at this point after they've differentiated, sorry, into muscle, fat, and collagen. They're ready to grow into a steak. And to provide this structure, we use a plant-based scaffolding. And after we apply the cells to the plant-based scaffolding, they go back into what's called a tissue bioreactor, which I call it going back into the oven in a way. Mm. And then it's finally ready for harvesting um, and finishing touches, which include things like seasoning and salt. After this whole process takes about three or four weeks. And it, at the end of our process, we have a steak that's ready to be cooked and enjoyed.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I I find that meat alternatives and sustainable food options seem to be markets that are currently garnering the attention of big VC firms. Uh, In fact, I see that Leonardo DiCaprio is even invested in and playing an active role as a member of your sustainability board. Are investment firms attracted to food science because of its frontier technology aspect or more because of its sustainable outcomes?
2: I think that's a great question. And I can't speak, you know, about all these "quote unquote" big VC firms, but I can talk about ours, and I can tell you that for us, it's really important that we have partners that share our core values and synergies and sustainability commitments. Mm-hmm. So stakeholders like meat corporations, right? There are many of our investors they see cultivated meat, you know, as an opportunity for new production streams alongside their core conventional production and as enablers of meeting their countries or or their organizations' respective ESG goals. So I think that it's very intertwined, at least for our partners. Good business is good business. And for us specifically, when we think about who we wanna partner with and who we wanna bring on board, um, having these values, these sustainability values in common is, is paramount.
1: That's awesome. So whether it be internal or external factors, what would you say is the biggest challenge Ala Farms has encountered so far in developing your products?
2: I don't think that the challenges that we face are really any different than any of our peers. And I think I'd break them down into three categories, cost, scale, and mainstream consumer acceptance. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Ways that we're addressing that um, is from a variety of angles, you know, in terms of cost, I think, because we can't follow through on our main, our core vision of Mm. helping feed the world unless we, you know, achieve price parity uh, with meat. Um, And for us, we're accomplishing that in a variety of ways from developing technologies um, that are proprietary for large scale production processes, like including bioprocesses and bioreactors and other key elements that we built from the ground up. Um, It also includes partnerships with people that are helping us produce growth media. This is one of the main contributors to the cost. So I do think that cost scale and mainstream consumer acceptance are the biggest challenges that our industry will face. Mm -hmm. I think that the mainstream consumer acceptance is something I think a lot about as I'm in marketing. It's not something that we'll face at first, right? Because we won't be selling to the mainstream mainly due to the cost of the product. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important that you think a lot about your product market fit and making sure that the early majority of consumers that you're engaging act as influencers. You know, I'm not talking about like Kim Kardashian, but mm. I mean, thought influencers and society influencers that then can inspire or motivate or, you know, usher in this movement for the majority of the rest of the population, you know, people mm-hmm. who aren't to adopt new technologies or foods. But once they see things play out a little bit um, with the right people, then it becomes something that they're open to. And for me, that's really what I'm focused on as we enter the market.
1: Yeah, absolutely. To take things in a different direction, one of the first things among many others that caught my attention with Aleph Farms is your space program, Aleph Zero. Would you mind expanding on what that program entails?
2: Yeah, it excites me too. It's really fun. Yeah. Well, I think that all of zero, our space program is, it's really connected to our core vision, which is to ensure unconditional nutrition for anyone, anytime, anywhere. And I think that there's no better place to, you know, vet that thesis than in mm. space, right? Mm. Um, it really pushes our processes to the brink. We do want to support human life being multiplanetary, and we can't get to Mars right now without figuring out how to grow food in situ. Yeah. Um, so cellular agriculture is a potentially a great technology for a solution there. Um, but we also learn a lot about efficiency, um, like I mentioned about our process, and we bring those lessons home. So in a way, it serves both our short-term and long-term um, endeavors on Earth. So we like to compare it to Formula One because we're testing and and stressing out our technologies in the toughest environments before incorporating them into mainstream cars if you will or our our procedures here on earth so it entails you know we've done some experiments we've done two experiments in 2019 um we conducted our first experiment in space it's when i first started working with olive actually and i just remember being so wowed um, by that accomplishment and we were able to form a 3d bioprinted muscle tissue
1: oh that's great
2: comprising several cell types in space um yeah back then it was actually in um i was featured on snl oh really yeah yeah and it just is like it's always it's so fun to see when things like that sort of pop up in mainstream media oh totally and people get very excited about it and recently we also did another experiment as part of axiom mission one or ax1 um, mm-hmm. And we were aboard the SpaceX rocket that had included cow cells and everything else that these cells need to proliferate and differentiate. We call it lab on a chip. And we were focusing on the first sort of stages of cell growth and how the influence of microgravity on cultivating cells. Yeah. So and we're excited wow. we'll share the results of that experiment maybe in the next month or so.
1: Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's really exciting.
2: Yeah, I got to design like the mission patch. Oh,
1: that's great!
2: As part of like the promotion and of doing it, and yeah, it's it's a it's a really fun program that we have.
1: I love it. I, I could honestly just talk about that all day, but I know I'll move on.
2: Olive Zero is like a gateway drug for olive farms and like, <laughs> in this way with my space content. You know, <laughs>
1: absolutely, absolutely. So, what has working in food science and and cell cultured products revealed to you as the biggest surprise?
2: I guess like some people think like science and food are like these separate things, you know, but they're really not. Like science is is everywhere in our food. I, I mean, it's nature, right? Biology is the study of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, like think about cooking, for example. Like it's 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 chemistry. Yeah. Um. So I wouldn't say it surprised me, but it's something that I've learned along the way, and something that's opened up my mind, and something that's just made me love science. Like I, I, wasn't like, I, yeah, sure. I took AB bio. I didn't, but I was, I went to a liberal arts school. It's probably one of the, the first liberal arts, you know, graduates to be in CELAC, you know, for like non-scientists on the team. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting to come at it with that different perspective. Um, but I love science and mm-hmm. I wish I learned more about it in school, but I'm glad that I'm here now and yeah. marrying it with what I love the most too, which is food and the future.
1: We need you. We need we need people like you on the team, you know? We need that <laughs> we need that perspective. So that's great. So then what in your opinion represents one of the main challenges or blind spots in the fight against food loss and waste?
2: Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this before we started the recording a little bit, and I think what you guys are doing at post-harvest is so cool because I think for me And thinking about food waste, you know, it's not something that Olive Farms is tackling specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, Although, you know, our steak is ready to serve, meaning there are no trimmings, which chefs really appreciate. Yeah. Um, Although in many of the kitchens that we have the pleasure of being in as we work with chefs, like they do sort of upcycle and repurpose trimmings of meat um, and work to avoid food waste, sort of reinventing things and making use of all their expensive ingredients. Yeah, But I guess when I think about some of the main challenges, I think about human error. Mm -hmm. I think about just the lack of time. You know, I've worked in kitchens myself, Um, maybe not investing in the right initiatives. Like many people tend to focus on the aftermath of food waste as opposed to like what you guys are doing in terms of coming in at an earlier stage so it can mm-hmm. be avoided from the outset. Yeah. And I think like lack of awareness about the problem. I think a lot of people don't know, you know, just how much food goes to waste yeah, um, and how to avoid it. So um, I think that like your consumer education, which is obviously something that you guys focus on, it is critical.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I find that prevention and, and what you're talking about is something that kind of goes a little bit under the radar. Really. I mean, as far as the consumer's concerned, if they show up to the grocery store and, and the shelves are all full, they're not really calculating all the products that didn't make it that far. So no, I, I agree with you. E- education and, and prevention is, is huge.
2: And like trash is, is invisible. Like, it gets taken away. We don't see it. We have no idea. We have no sense of repercussions of our decisions. I think for right now in the U.S. <laughs>
1: yeah, not totally. No, I'd say internationally, but
2: yeah, I think there's some people like who are might be more aware of it than others because of where garbage gets shipped. But yeah, for the most part, I think there's a, a lack of awareness is definitely a challenge. Yeah, yeah. So
1: has the COVID pandemic, for better or worse, had any effect on your day to day operations?
2: Gosh. It's crazy how little I I think about COVID these days, to be honest, Um, you know, my day-to-day operations as uh, employee number one in the U.S. and having, (laughs) you know, worked remotely for three years hasn't affected me very much um, in that sense. But no, I mean, there are times, especially in a lab, well, not that we're in a lab anymore, essentially, but when you're producing food, you're working in close quarters, right? So I think Mm -hmm. that when Mm -hmm. there have been COVID spikes, yeah, we have to take turns coming in and only non-essential employees, but like, thank God for Zoom. And, you know, we work like, you know, most hours of the day and night. So I think that, you know, we're very flexible and Israeli people are very resilient. uh, So I don't think there's much that will hold us back here from our mission. So yeah.
1: Fantastic. Is there a particular group or innovation within the industry that you're excitedly keeping a watchful eye on?
2: I think there is some innovation happening upstream with cell media and bringing down the cost, the main cost drivers there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's critical to achieving our mission. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's, that's, I think, where we should all keep our eye on is looking to bring down those main cost drivers of cell media.
1: Yep. Okay. So... What's one thing you wish you'd known when you began your career in working alongside a team developing cell-cultured products?
2: More about biology. <laughs> 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 like, should have gotten a PhD in that. No, but seriously, I I think it's really important as a marketer in this industry to have a command of your material. Absolutely. It's not something I don't, I have no regrets. Listen, I've, I've learned a ton. I feel really Comfortable and confident. I think it's really important to know how to. I focus a lot actually in my research preparing for launch in um, science communications because I think that we all need to do more of it in our sector. I think transparency is paramount. Yeah. And learning, you know, how to walk through that process like I did before and and storytell around science and make it engaging Mm -hmm. and exciting. And knowing when to pick your moments and when to talk about it and maybe not at the dinner table, right? But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think science communications is a really interesting topic. So, Yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, to kind of be in the science world, but not really of it, like you want to be confident in what you're saying and be able to stand tall. I mean, essentially, you're a storyteller at the end of the day. Uh-huh. And so you want to be able to tell a story that that makes sense to the general public, but also holds true to the team and what they're trying to accomplish. So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a tightrope act there. So Nikki, we are coming to a close, but before we do, I just wanted to ask, what is the major point you really want the listeners to take away from this episode?
2: It's a really exciting time for our industry and for Olive Farms. Mm-hmm. You know, Right now, we're undertaking the first of its kind full-scale pilot program, um, and we're looking to launch in two key markets in 2023, and that's fast coming so I think that that's something I want to make sure to highlight is it's really happening and that LF, you know, we continue to be at the forefront of the climate conversation. We didn't talk too much about sustainability during this. Well, we talked about food waste, of course, but Olive farms specific efforts within sustainability and the climate conversation. And um, we're getting really excited about this year's COP27 and sponsoring the first food pavilion at COP which I think is a major milestone um, in terms of bringing food systems to the forefront of the climate conversation.
0: Um, mm-hmm. So that's
2: something on the horizon for us that I'd love to share. And uh, just that we're having some really exciting conversations with some of the world's most renowned chefs and partners. And we're really excited to be bringing our product to market um, as soon as we have regulatory approval. Yeah,
1: that's exciting. I'm, I'm going to keep an eye out for some of these developments on the horizon.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're in Australia. You can just shoot on up to Singapore.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm not just saying this, like the moment that becomes <laughs> an option, I'm, I'm, I'm all over it. I'm, I'm making that happen. <laughs>
2: I'm glad to hear it. I hope (laughs) you do. Next to my family and friends, this is all I think about. And I love working towards um, a long-term vision too and beyond myself and my lifetime. And I think that's what this technology represents in its fullest expression. So super excited about what's to come in the short term and taking this first step to come into market and finally engaging with diners but also just working towards that long-term vision that brought me here many years ago, which is our vision that has to do with sustainability and food security.
1: Yeah. 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 That's great. It's well put. Well, that's all for today's episode of Let's Talk Farm to Fork. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Nikki, for joining me today.
2: It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me and Aleph.
1: If you'd like to know more about Nikki and Aleph Farms, check out the link in the description of this episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave a review and share with your friends. Until next time, you've been listening to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, a post harvest podcast.
0: We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Farm to Fork. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Also, if you would like to learn more about how you can practically play your part in maximizing fruit and vegetable supplies, whether you're a supplier, consumer, or anyone in between the farm-to-fork journey, visit postharvest.com and try out their free online course library today.